Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure you subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First United Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Strebeck. Genesis 6, 5-8 The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Well, I wanted a child to read this text today uh, because it's a good reminder that when we tell our kids stories, when we tell children stories, we, how we tell those stories is very important. It's just as important as the story that we tell is how we tell the story. Uh, pauses in the story, uh, eye contact, ways that we talk to them, it lets them feel the weight of the story, what's really going on. In the case of this story, letting children feel the weight includes letting them feel the weight of bad news because they do and they will experience bad news in the world and we must not deprive them of God's response to the bad news. And of course, it's not just children uh, who do well to remember this story. You and I, all of us, are on pins and needles wondering what God's response might be to the evil and the pain that we see in the world. We left off with this Genesis story, our story, God's story, Genesis 4 and 5, uh, where the children of Adam, our ancestors, the people of God, uh, are plagued by getting the full dose of what they wanted. <laughs> Don't you hate it when that happens? We get what we always wanted, and it turns out to be a curse instead of a blessing. Uh, so we wanted to do things our way. We wanted autonomy more than anything else. I know that doesn't sound, that's not popular today, but back then that was a thing. They wanted autonomy more than anything else, and so that's what they got, and that's, things were spinning out of control. Uh, autonomy is one of those great lies, it's one of those great temptations that if we could just do things our way uh, and we walk away from God, then things, we could sort things out ourselves. And Genesis is full of the reasons why that doesn't work. I think Ozzy Osbourne has probably said it well, uh, what happened when we were left to chart our own course and disregard God when he said, we are going off the rails on a crazy train. Said it well, very well. The Lord saw. So remember the garden. So God sees what is happening and what's going on in the world. Well, God saw the garden. Remember when we read Genesis 1 and 2 and God saw everything that he created and he pronounced everything that he made that it was good. And a seventh time he said it, he surveyed the entire creation, including us, and he said, not only is it good, but it is very good. And so we're used to God seeing something and saying that it was good. In this case, God sees what's happening, that we're going off the rails on the crazy train, and he does not say this is good. He says the, other, the opposite of that, this is not going in a good direction. And so God saw, and you can just hear, if you want to describe uh, what goes on in the world at its worst, this is about as good as you can do. In Genesis uh, that was read for us, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth 
and that every device of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. To be only evil continually or only evil all the time, that's about as rough as it gets. So God sees that. He doesn't ignore that. And sometimes we feel like God ignores that. But God sees it. He, he, he knows what's happening. And he makes a plan to bring judgment on what has been awful. So God says, I will blot out. It's this word that we would think of like you're writing a story and you stop and you go back and you erase what you've written and you're gonna start writing again. Uh, there's this theme throughout the Old Testament of God writing things down in a book and they, they understood this. So God is gonna blot out uh, what was written and he's going to start over. Uh, and we get this line for God said, for I am sorry that I have made them. This is the part where you're telling and you're reading to the kids and you're telling the Noah story and you begin to talk through and how bad it is and you can see them, you know, their eyes are wide and they're light up and their curiosities and you get to this part where God says, I was sorry that I made them and you have to pause right there and you look up from the page and you look at them as they're, they're gonna lean in and say, well, well, what happens next? I mean, that's as bad as it gets. And there's this great pause in the story and there's a conjunction that is attached to the name of Noah. It's not even two words, it's one word, but Noah, but Noah. But Noah found favor in the eyes of God. So that's not all that God saw when he saw everything coming apart and moved towards judgment. For Noah, he saw Noah. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. As as that, you know, if you're a kid and you're listening to this and how bad it is, how bad it is, how bad it is, there's this moment where it's like dawn, but Noah, but there's this one guy and he found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So you know the story's not over. You know there's still hope. You know there's that glimmer of hope early in the morning. And to help us better understand what's happening here, it's important, I think it's good for us to think about the order of the words. So, so Noah found favor in God's eyes, but really the way that works is grace found Noah. Grace found Noah. Do you remember where you were most recently when grace found you? When we were in a place where it looked like things were going in a tough direction. We wondered if there was hope. And in those places, sometimes in the darkest places, and we wonder if there's still a God who loves us or if there's any hope at all, and grace finds us in those places. And grace found Noah. Grace, we understand in the story, was offered to all people in the garden. I mean, everybody gets a shot at it. Everybody's invited to live in the presence of God. Grace is offered to everyone. And apparently, those that went a different direction were to understand they, they had a chance to receive grace, and they didn't. They walked away. They rejected grace. Everybody rejects grace and that's where the evil comes from. And so everyone rejects grace except for one. And we get Noah. And we read after that that Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. So Noah responds to the grace of God with a blameless life. He walks with God and recovers the promise of God's presence. But we absolutely have to get the order straight. Uh, first, Noah receives grace. Right? First, grace finds Noah and then 
He is able to walk out a righteous life. He's able to walk with God. Grace always comes with priority. Grace is always the first thing. Before we ever respond to God, grace moves ahead of us and draws us and invites us. So we're always, when we speak to God for the very first time, when we direct our heart in the direction of God at any time, grace is the priority. Grace has moved first. And so we're always, always, always responding to grace when we, when we worship, when we offer our lives to God. And that's what Noah does. He responds to grace where the grace found him and he responds and he enacts his life uh, to, to walk with God. And so you know the story. I mean, you know how the story goes. God makes his response to this pervasive evil uh, known to Noah. He says, Noah, I'm not ignorant to what's going on in the world, and I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. I'm going to judge the earth, and I'm going to bring a decisive end to wickedness and to abuse, to the things that you see and say it should not be that way. I'm about to bring a decisive end to those things. And the method of judgment is going to be water, And so to save you, I'm going to coach you on building a boat. It's not going to be a small boat, but it's going to be an ark. It's going to be one that's big enough to hold safely the beginnings of an entire recreation. So I'm going to recreate the world, and so I need you to build a boat. And I mean, just for, it's, you know, we can go step it off sometime. But uh, those of you that run up and down the Mustang bowl all the time, you can probably tell me exactly how far it is, even past the end zones. But just imagine the ark is about that size. You could drop it down in the Mustang bowl. It might not go all the way down. It might get hung up on some of the stands. But that's about the size of the ark as it was spelled out. So that's the kind of size that we're talking about here. We're talking about all kinds of animals. We're talking about all kinds of food. Uh, this is the ultimate you know, gardening canning project, food storage, seed storage. Uh, All the animals come in, both the ones that are used for sacrifices and worship and the ones that are not, the ones you can eat, the ones you can't, the wild animals, the domestic, all the stuff. All comes in to this ark and God is recreating the world. That's what we're supposed to understand. God lays out this specific plan to preserve animals and food and Noah, who has a family at this time of day, Noah, his wife, the three sons and their wives. And God says, while I will judge the wickedness in the earth, I have judged you And in you, I have found what I'm looking for. And so I will establish my covenant with you. And from this point in the story, it's great because Noah is sort of just, he's a listener and he's a doer. He listens to God and he does what God says. Noah doesn't talk again. We don't get any words from Noah. It's just, he just listens and he just does. And so we see at every turn that Noah listens and he does what the Lord commands. Uh, verse 622 of Genesis, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Uh, verse, chapter 7, verse 5, and Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. And so God follow throughs on what he, he follows through on what he says he's going to do. And, he, and, and a rain comes and covers the whole earth. It covers the whole known earth. The entire Mesopotamian area was covered with water. Uh, we have lots of, we're talking Bible study this week about the other narratives that people have charted this down, how this happened in that part of the world and how these things were just covered in water. And so um, all life is destroyed. Chapter 7, verse 23, all flesh died. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life. Tragic. This is, this is decreation. This is God making things right first by decreation. And only Noah is left and those with him in the ark. 
and the waters prevailed. And we get another great, however, a divine but. But God remembered Noah. And so this is the recreation part. God remembered Noah, and therefore the ark serves forever as a symbol for us, God's people as a symbol of rescue. It's a fortress in the midst of a stormy life. So I want to do a little exercise this morning. We don't do stuff like this very often, but I want to invite you just to look up as, as far, as high as you can in the sanctuary. Everybody just take a gander as high as you can see and observe the exposed rafters in our sanctuary. So we don't call this an auditorium, not because we're snobby. Uh, we call it a sanctuary. And in particular, we call the place where we, y'all are sitting, this is called the nave of the church. Where does that terminology come from? It comes from ship terminology, right? So when you see exposed rafters in a church, what we're supposed to see is the uh, keel of a boat. So these are the exposed, if you, this is the first thing you build when you're building a boat. And so if you flip this thing upside down, we're supposed to imagine that we're in an ark. We are being carried from decreation to recreation. We together, the church, we're on pilgrimage. And Christ is carrying us in this ark. We're being redeemed. And so when we walk in a sanctuary and we look up, that's what we're supposed to see. We're supposed to remember, oh yes, we're a people on pilgrimage. This is a ship and we're in, we're in the belly of the ship, so to speak, and we're being carried by God where we need to go. That's, that's the imagery. That's why we build sanctuaries like this. Uh, it's not because, you know, we didn't have money to paint the rafters. Uh, so they're exposed for a reason. We're supposed to see what we see in here. So... The rain subsides and things dry out and God vows never again, never again to curse the ground because of man. And so chapter nine, verse one, God blessed Noah and he blessed his sons and he told them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now, where have we heard this before? Where have we heard this call, this vocation before? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Right, we heard it in the garden. We remember this was the call given to Adam and Eve, be fruitful, live a good life, a fruitful life, and multiply. And so what Adam, where Adam fumbled, and when he dropped the baton, this is, this is God placing it in the hand of Noah and saying, it's your turn to run. Now you take this covenant and you run with it, and we're gonna start this thing over, and we're gonna get there. And so he, he begins this recreation effort, hands the baton to Noah, and we have the same thing. We have the, almost the exact same thing that happens in the garden we have in Genesis 9. It's just now we're in a fallen world, so things are a little different. We have a call. We have a prohibition. God says, I have given you everything. I've given you everything you need to survive. I've given you all the food that you'll need, all the shelter that you'll need. Uh, there's one thing that you can't do. It has to, has to do with eating the blood of a living thing. Uh, and that's because life is precious to God. And God says, I'm never again going to see life end like this. Every breathing thing has dignity. And so that's, God is setting this up and establishing this new covenant with Noah. Every living creature, it's not just with us, it's not just with people, it's with every living creature that God is making this covenant. And so then God, to round it all out, because God is still an artist, you know, he's still creating, he's still making beautiful things uh, for us to see and appreciate. And so God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations, for all God's people. He says, I have set my bow 
in the clouds, right? It's supposed to be the shape of a bow, like a bow and arrow. And so we call it a rainbow, but it's the shape of a bow and it's reminding us that God is holding back judgment, right? The bow is stretched and God is holding back judgment for us to believe, for us to respond, for us to get on the ark. And that's the call, that's God's mercy extended to us through all generations. So, so we see the rainbow and we remember that. Um, the Jewish people refer to this Noahic covenant as the covenant of God's patience. Isn't that great? This is the covenant of God's patience. And so we are beneficiaries of this covenant of God's patience. And I just think today how long God has been patient with me. How day after day God has been patient with me. All those years where I entirely disregarded God, wanted nothing to do with God, and God was patient with me. Uh, the days where I say I want to be involved in God and I don't live that way. God is patient with me. So in the New Testament, uh, we hear Peter, uh, one of the apostles, and he's writing his letter to the churches, and he compares uh, the ark, he compares the Noah experience to baptism. And he says baptism corresponds to this whole ark thing because God saves you through the waters of baptism. And so he's telling me, you know, this is, you got to get in on this life. Uh, he likens baptism to this covenant uh, that God made with Noah in all creation, the eight. And so um, I think it's very important as we wrap up to remember, this is how, you know, I always thought of this, and, and you know, you see a rainbow, and you tell your kids, kids, this is for us to remember that, that God, you know, that God loves us, and God keeps his promises to us, and that's wonderful for us to do. But we see the rainbow, we think, hey, this is what we're supposed to remember. See, we do it again. We're, we think we can make it work just by our effort. And I never caught this part of the story. But notice what God says about why he put the rainbow there. Notice who's doing the remembering here. When the bow is in the clouds, this is God talking, when the bow is in the clouds, I will see it. There's God seeing again. I will see it and I will remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all the flesh that is in the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Shocking words. God says, I will remember. I will see the rainbow and I will remember. This is where it beautifully corresponds to baptism because we come through the waters of baptism and we remember that the greatest news of all is that God remembers us. God remembers his covenant with us. So whether we were two months old, eight months old, 82 years old, and we came through the waters of baptism, God remembers us. And that moment is a sign that God will never forget us. And if God remembers us, then he will keep us. If God remembers us, he will save us. And we will be secure together in this ark that we call the church. So hear this good news today that God remembers you that he remembers us. May we have the grace that Noah had to receive God's grace and to serve God with joy. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. <laughs>